0: freedom ring. You recognize those words in one of our patriotic hymns. Actually, it's called America, or My Country, Tis of Me. In the early 1600s, every British citizen was expected to attend the Church of England, and those who didn't were punished by the state. One group of farmers in northern England Known disparagingly as the Separatists, began to worship in secret, knowing full well that it was treasonous. Once they decided that the only way that they could be true to their conscience was to leave the established church and secretly worship, they were hunted and persecuted. And many of them faced the loss of their homes and the loss of their livelihood. And these were known as pilgrims. They weren't all of the Christians in of England. They were also the Puritans who believed that they needed to stay and fight the battle to the end. And so you have both. Later in U.S. history, Samuel Francis Smith wrote the lyrics to the hymn that we know of as America in 1831. My country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land of my father's life, land, land of the pilgrim's pride, from every side, that freedom bring. What is freedom, at least from the Bible definition of the word? According to our passage in John 8 that we have read, freedom first is to know the truth. Our Lord said in verse 31, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth. Now in verse 30 of John 8, if you return to it, it reads, As he spake his words, many believed on him. So there were many who Called on the name of the Lord that they might be saved. Like at an earlier time in uh, the record of John in chapter 6, 65, which I'll read to you in the next verse as well. Therefore said I unto you, he was speaking to many that believed on him, that he became his followers, that in fact followed him for a time in the wilderness. He said to them, Therefore, said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except the Father, except it were given to him of my Father. This teaching did not load well with them. And as a result, it says in verse 66, in that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with them. There are many who are turned off by the truth. Isn't that the bottom line, after all? Isn't what really matters, the truth? Is that what matters to you? Is that what matters to us? Because, according to Christ, that's everything. Many read the Word, yet they don't know the truth. You know that there are those such just reported in scripture of Satan, knowing the scriptures, having heard them in the very mouth of his Lord at one time in lord and he was one of his archangels. And yet, he didn't know the truth. In 2 Timothy 3, 7, and 8, there are those in the church who for all intents and purposes, you're think of believers, because they seem to know their doctrine and to know them Look what it reads in 2 Timothy 3, 7, and 8. And I recognize that there is a broader context here, but for the sake of time, we will only read these verses. Ever learning and never to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janice and Janus... With schismosis, so that these also resist the truth, men corrupt minds aggravate concern of faith, as they are confident. So it's possible that there could be in the midst of some churches, perhaps many churches, perhaps even all churches, those who are in this condition. But even when you had as reverend minister, a very. Moses himself was considered the preeminent prophet in the Old Testament, next to Christ in the year, or the Apostle Paul in Christ in the year. You have this way. The key to knowing the truth are found back in verse 31 in the phrase, if you continue in my truth. In my word. And the word for the team is actually the word for abiding. And so, if you would reread it, if you abide in the word. And abide has the connotation of living in the word of God. If my word abides in you, and if you abide in me, our Lord says, this is, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you. There is this Relationship. There is this fellowship. There is this communion between you and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so freedom is to know the truth. Because as we move on to the next point as to what is freedom, freedom is to be set free by the truth. We know the truth for the purpose of being set free. You shall know the truth, verse 32, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Well, in the context of his discussion, he was always involved in teaching. Even teaching, anyone who would listen, even if they were not his audience, even though they were not his learners, as I would call them, such as when he said, Come unto me, for I am a heart and learn. Me. He was always teaching. And yet, there were some that didn't have a teachable spirit, according to verse 33, who answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou? We shall be made free. In other words, they begged to differ with Christ. In fact, more than that, they were furious with Christ, for even insinuating that they were slaves. Because the implication of his words was that they were not merely servants of of paid indentured servants let's say, as there were those, like Luke, the writer of Scripture, who was a paid doctor, although he was considered in that status of servant. He was talking about slaves who had no compensation, who were simply told what to do. We, Abraham, Satan never punished anyone, was their reply. And yet the truth is that Palestine was what I call a vast state or kingdom of the Roman Empire. That became one in 63 BC, right before the coming of Christ. The truth is that the Jews may be the physical descendants of Abraham, which they all were, but not the spiritual. As Paul puts it, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit. His praise is not the His praise is not God. So there is an important point that He's making here, and that is that we need to be the spiritual children of Abraham, thus the spiritual children of God. And also we need to be set free from slavery to sin and to Satan. Our Lord was confronted by these unbelievers, ask, How sayest thou, who shall be made free? The which his reply was, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that whosoever committeth sin is a slave to sin. If I can just tell you what it is in the original language. Whoever commits sin evidences that he is a slave to sin. To commit sin is to practice sin when the Bible speaks about those who practice sin, those who are involved in certain sinful lifestyles, like adultery, and like murder, and, and the like, uh, and, and the list goes on, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And the reason why we practice sin by nature, because I, I, I know that we are Christians and do not practice sin by nature, although we do sin, there's a difference, but I'll get to that shortly. The reason why is that we are sinners by nature and sinners by practice. Having inherited from our first parents' attitude this fallen nature. And unlike those who teach that we are partially fallen, we believe that we are totally fallen, we are totally depraved. And it doesn't mean that we're as bad as we could be. We are not certainly like those in history that have been deemed as the worst criminals against the human race, like some leaders like Hitler and Alexander the Great. But that potentiality is in all of us. As I mentioned, some of us have been set free by God. Look up 1 John 3, 9, and 10. 1 John 3, 9, and 10. Let you read verse 8 also? He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God is manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God, doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So there are two classes of people, and either this, and it takes some digging into the scriptures and some understanding of grammar to appreciate what is being said here. Because obviously we all sin. So if if this means that only those who have never sinned are the children of God, then there's no one. So that is by deduction obviously not the correct again it's the one who has this practice of sin because we notice that it's in the present tense which indicates an ongoing activity and thus those who have this ongoing activity without any restraint from the holy spirit without are not in christ Serve it to, to the Back in our passage in John 8 in verse 41, the Jews went on to say, "And the Lord, actually in verse 41, sorry, I said uh, they went on to say, we be not born of fornication, but we have one Father, even God. In other words, we are of God. We're not Satan, as you're implying. But what does he say? What does he come right up and says in verses 30, 43, and 44, Why don't you understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. And keep in mind, again, who is speaking? The very son of the Father that they claim as our God. He goes on, you are of your father the devil and the lust of your father, you will do. It was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. Meaning the father of them who also lie, who also make a practice of lying. Have you ever met people who actually are proverbial liars, as they are called, you cannot trust a single word that comes out of their mouth. Now, With regard to the spiritual condition of the Jews of Christ, they, this is what they do. Because they cover every word of the Lord Jesus, except for those, of course, that the Lord is calling into his kingdom. Again, with his own disciples. And lastly, how do we know what true freedom is? only by knowing the truth, not only by being, by being set free by the truth, but lastly, by living for the truth, by living for the truth. This is I like indicated previously, we can live for sin, because he that committed sin, is the slave of sin. He that lives for the truth has been set free, according to verse 35. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, being the servant or the slave of sin. But the Son abideth ever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. When the Son, that is Jesus Christ, sets a sinner free, he is truly free to live for God. And not until then. You become the slave of the one who has liberated you from the strong man of the house that you are, that you are a captive, to, even Satan. And now you abide in the house of God. You are a changed person, a new creation. All things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. Like the Apostle Paul, you can confess with grateful and joyful hearts, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And yet, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. In the life in which I now live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I have a purpose in life. I have a Purpose of living for my Lord, who gave me everything, who gave me not just life and breath for this present life, but all things. It's said in the Bible that when we receive Christ, we have all things, because all things are Christ, and that's Christ is God's. And those who have Christ have everything for this life. That which is to come. They have that comfort that is spoken about in our high word What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I and body and soul, both in life and in death, and not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all my sins. Me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that not a hair can fall from my hand without my hand to fall, and all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready, from now on, to live. Of God, as it were, a free man and a free woman and a free child of God to follow Christ. Like that song that we also read in our responsive reading. You will chime in along with your brother David, who I whose testimony I read earlier about his trusting in the God that justifies the godly. So shall I keep that law continually? Forever and ever. And I will walk at liberty. Why do I seek my precepts? That's my life. That's what I live for obedience to God. I have the righteousness of God accounted to me, imputed to me, so that I am perfect in Christ. But now there's an overhaul that is taking place internally by the work of the Spirit where I am. Beginning to be conformed inwardly as I am conformed outwardly to Jesus Christ. And that's what's called sanctification. And a very essential part of that is living holy and godly wise according to the will of God, according to the law of God. You do what God tells you to do and not make excuses for yourself. Instead of balking or hanging and hawing as our nature is prone to do, or as we used to do, we say, Lord, and he says, do this, we, we, we say it like in, in the military, uh, how high, in other words, how high do you want me to jump, or how far, how far do you want me to run, or well, like our Lord says, if they say unto you, pick up this load, and I'm talking about the Roman Soldiers that occupied the the, the tributary state of Israel, the Kabbalah, would realize these, although they were technically slaves, they would still make them pick up the load. But the attitude of a Christian is so much different than the one who is, because he will say, How far? Two miles? When it was only one mile that we were bidden. You this with a heart. And why? Because according to that word of David, that song, my commandments are the reason which I have loved. Which I have loved. In other words, it's a heart matter. It's a heart matter. Your heart in Your heart that loves Christ. <clears throat> Samuel Francis Smith was actually a Baptist minister, I found out. He wrote four stanzas in America, and I read to you, though well, I didn't want to say that to you, but uh, I held back from doing that. But I read to you the first stanza, and now I'll read to you the last one. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might. Great God, our King. Great God. For our country to be turned around from this present course, and I think we all can sense that we are not on a good path. And it might to my just to, to uh, make that statement, perhaps. I think that uh, as we look at where things are going away from the principles that were laid down in our country, which are verified, which are backed up by Scripture, which is our Constitution, such as our preamble, such as our American form of democracy. For our country to be turned around from its present course, can I say we're on a fast track to hell? We must get the gospel out. Let the 4th of July be as a rallying point for Christians to recognize what they have, be thankful for what they've been given, and then to realize that. We with- Live by faith. In this way, may freedom reign, even beginning here in our hearts and here through our lips, as we declare the gospel of Christ as we sing praises of thanks to God for his unspeakable gift and all the other gifts that come after it. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, how grateful we are for the privilege of being. Worship as we are able to do this afternoon, and we thank you for this. Being able to live in this land and live in it at this particular time, though it is fraught with many difficulties and many hardships and things that are threatening to its life. But we are here when you have called. And we have been given an insight, an understanding that many have not been given. And thus, with what we have, may we do the best that we can to represent you, to speak for you, to be thankful to you, especially for the privileges and the blessings that we enjoy, and particularly that of freedom liberty in Christ that enables us to live in a manner that we do thus far in our land. Sweet land of liberty. Christ's name